You're listening to an episode of the Break the Cycle podcast on the SVTV network. We have a lot of information about health and wellness doing rounds. Um frankly, my own journey into fitness uh, and just physical activity started a little over 10 years ago, but my journey into understanding health and wellness and uh the effects of one's lifestyle only began about 3 years ago um i of course consume a lot of information about it through people such as dr peter atia uh, through lane norton uh through a lot of uh our indian uh health uh, professionals as well one such professional uh to be honest sums it all up for me and my the, i cannot control my excitement uh in telling you how i met this man i reached out to him after witnessing a 30 minute talk of his talking about all the health and wellness practices that took me 3 years to understand and i realized that i have barely scratched the surface i'm talking about dr marcus rani dr marcus uh very generously agreed to come on the show <laughs> uh he is uh, a published author he's a former physician uh he has climbed mountains he's uh competed in marathons very 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 active uh, man very knowledgeable man and someone who i who i instantly took um how should i say a fondness to because he simplified for me what i see is, what i see as this plethora of information around health which unfortunately and i'm going to sound controversial when i say this unfortunately not a lot of doctors uh, medical professionals have been keen on exploring this is not in any way trying to put them down this is however a way for us to uh, look into the information that exists uh, out there and if nothing else experiment and see what works for us and that is what we're going to talk to dr marcus about today we're going to talk about what is health why how is it so convoluted and complex how do we simplify it what does what do you mean by longevity and everything related i this is a very very exciting episode for me and i hope it's going to be as uh, exciting as knowledgeable for you as well um As always, I look forward to your feedback, and I'll see you in the next one. Three, and we're on. Hello, Doc. Can I call you Doc? It's just Shashank. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, full disclosure: I saw your session uh, at Polis's group, and those thirty minutes uh, instantly kind of made me go, "I need to speak to this man as quickly as possible." uh and that was primarily my motivation because a lot of the things that you talk about are things that i personally have been looking into though i don't have your experience or your expertise um uh so thank you very much for for doing this uh and again i said this before the interview i'm going to say this again i loved your book so anyone watching this get it uh <laughs> but uh your story has been extremely interesting to me um and before i get into that uh i would actually like you to kind of uh take us through your journey as is because i believe you've switched in between from 
being a actual medical professional to a business professional and now you're a health and wellness champion so i'm kind of i'm i'm trying to find that uh pivot point so to speak i uh at my heart i'm a science geek i hope that came across in the book as oh, well yeah. <laughs> yeah i love human biology the physiology and the psychology of what makes us who we are and um i've always been always striving for understanding how i can unlock the most value that i can from this machine and then help other people do the same as well so my career really began with my first degree which is in uh, physiology this is university college in london um and i happened to be uh, in the air force royal air force at that time and that's when i saw for the first time and i got to sort of work with these fighter pilots just how incredible the body and mind is where even under those intense forces of nature those g forces that you literally get pushed around in those in those fighter jets even in those high stress environments they're able to make surgical level decisions with such precision as well and that's where this uh, this this sort of love affair with this area really began i um, i got a chance to do many expeditions in my younger years i led a expedition around everest i led an expedition to the arctic circle uh, i was invited to work at nasa on the human space flight program for a while uh, and then i went on to study medicine and and graduated and was working as a doctor now uh, this is all pre 2010 uh after that the world changed when the lehman brothers uh, collapsed you may i'm not sure if you're old enough to yeah but, but a lot of our viewers Sorry, may no. remember <laughs> Sorry, okay uh i always got to remind folks because sometimes they forget just how tough those years were uh -huh. but the world really changed and at that time i i thought about um what's the next phase of my life and my career look like uh and i happened to meet a have met a girl and that story ended up really well because we're married now and we've got two beautiful young children uh, who i dedicated the book to mm -hmm. uh and uh, and so i moved to india and that's when i left the clinical world of of medicine behind and i increasingly became more and more involved in the business the management uh and the operational side of health uh medicine and more broadly well-being mm -hmm. because my journey individually began to change i i became a father i got into long distance running uh i started to experiment with what i eat how i eat when i eat stuff we i'm sure we'll talk about on your show around as well intermittent fasting etc so i went through this whole journey of management consultant venture capital corporate and then entrepreneurship that's what i've been doing over the last 10 12 years since moving to india but uh things changed again covid-19 has changed the world and uh i decided that i had a skill set medicine uh and it needed to be deployed so i became a frontline volunteer i i i was working for the bmc i live in mumbai bombay in india mm -hmm. so i started working with the bmc working in slums across the city and i saw firsthand the devastation that this was creating to people's lives and livelihoods and i did that for about 4 months i then got infected with covid and i was pretty badly hit by it so it took me some time to get back on my feet oh uh but this time around uh, again my wife and i were very busy um in the last week alone uh we've been at the front and center of indian news uh with the new mission that we launched just 2 weeks ago called meds for more which is a campaign to collect unused unexpired 
COVID-19 medications from people that are living, started in Bombay, but now we're spreading to five other cities as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so collecting from the metros and then give it to people who don't have any affordability or access in rural India. Right. And uh, we've been inundated with, uh, with, uh, with donations, uh, medical donations uh, to make those available for people. So we're, we're trying to do our best. And I just think that health and well-being is something that because I'm so passionate about, it allows me to play out in so many different spheres of my life. I'm going to geek out with you a little bit because uh, it's something that I've now. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, I've recently got into uh, the more health and well-being, the, the more holistic side of health and well-being. I've been a martial artist yeah. for about 10 years. Uh, and that has been my primary practice. So my exploration into body and mind primarily was just martial arts. Mindset came much later. And now as I see it, well-being and health and well-being just has such a broad definition, which I never realized. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening also uh, have not been able to really get, get a hold on what it truly means. So I'm going to ask you this, like what, what would the, how would you define optimal health? How would you define optimal well-being? What are the factors one needs to consider? Because I don't think it's going to be just how much exercise I can do or how well I eat. Yeah. For me, life is about being happy, healthy, and, and long. That's the, that's the objective. That's what I'm trying to do for myself and for everyone around me as well. We understand that well-being is a pretty complex conversation. So I set out and I built a framework for myself a few years ago. And this was built so that I could decide where I wanted to invest my energies over the next however many years. I, I hope to live to 120. I'm certainly planning to do so. So I got lots of things that I want to do along the way. So there are three concentric circles. And I start with the well-being of the individual. Mm -hmm. uh, we are at a personal level. It then goes to well-being of the organization or the team. Mm -hmm. And then it extends to the well-being of, uh, of a system, of a country, of a planet. So I am uh, pretty much divide my time equally amongst each of these three spheres, right? From the companies that I founded and I run uh, through the academic work that I do, through the content creation, all the media interactions that I, that I, that I have as well. Um, because I think it's very important for it to be done across all three. And it actually allows me a pretty unique vantage point because I am equally involved in activities involving the World Economic Forum and the Atlantic Council through to international publications, through to startups that are working in different parts of the world, uh, through to my media and, uh, uh, and, and writing work, that it allows me to connect the dots and do things. So even now, I'm running this NGO mission, Meds for More, which is a very India-specific um, intent to help us with COVID. Uh, of course, we're having this conversation about my book, uh, which is very looking at holistic well-being, fueling peak performance. Uh, I'm currently writing a white paper on how we can feed a million people when we get to Mars by the year 2050, working with some people from the Atlantic Council uh, and at NASA. Uh, so I've got all these different things, which are, and many, many more that I won't even get into. But uh, I, it allow, as I said, it just allows me to pull the threads together because there are some very similar core things that we each need to do. We need to sleep and recover and rest well. We need to eat well. We need to move our bodies. It requires movement, not exercise. 
We need to move our bodies. We need to look after our brain and our mind. Uh, so there are some common things that we need to do. And then, of course, it extends outward and outward. We need to look at community. We need to look at planet. We look and look at sustainability, etc. So lots of other things there. Could you touch upon each of these? Because um, one thing that I noticed was uh, so I, I had, the, had the pleasure of speaking to a person who was a sleep coach. Apramay Rajput was one of the guests. And uh, he thankfully shed you know, very specific light on sleep. The physical side is something that the internet is full of, right? And and thank you for saying that not just exercise, movement as a whole. Uh, but all of these other elements, brain health, for example. Yeah. What all would it constitute? Are we talking about nutrition? Are we talking about consumption in terms of content? Are we talking about uh, brain chemistry? Are we talking about mindset, for example, or are we talking about things that may not necessarily go into the bucket of uh, rationale as people understand it? It could go into some esoteric things or belief systems. So if you yeah. could elaborate on that, I think that would help understand this better. Yeah, I think it's uh, important to consider the multiple dimensionality to this, right? It's mm -hmm. actually something interesting. I haven't formally... Uh, built out a construct to it, but I'll give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at a forum uh, where they were talking about uh, the quantum state of physics and its application to human health, right? And they were looking at energy. And at the time, I remembered that thinking that, you know, in med school, I didn't have a single lesson on physics. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I love physics as a child. I think one of the first books I ever read, at least the memory of it, is A Brief History of Time by the late Professor Hawkins. But if you think about the logical nature of what that statement is, is asking, in medicine, we have created a very siloed set of systems, right? Mm -hmm. We started off with the organism as a whole. We then understood that, okay, each organism through Da Vinci's early work, uh, started to understand anatomical figures and that there are systems in place, cardiovascular system, respiratory system, etc. Then we went a step further and the microscope came in and came in and we understood that within each organ there were tissues and cellular lines which had commonalities and differences amongst different parts of the body. So that's the early work that we had. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, then penicillin and, and pasteurization and antibiotics and all of those things came about at the turn of the 19th century. Then as we sort of went on into the mid 19th century, it went further still. And the work of Watson and Crick understood, uh, allowed us to understand that there was something happening within each cell at a, at a genetic level, at a, at a DNA level. There's a, codified, a codification to each cell that then allows it to become further and further out. And then we've understood that even within the DNA, that's now through electron microscopy, we can see that it's made up of base pairs, which are amino acids. And we can now understand what an amino acid is uh, in terms of the different constituents of that. And then if you go further and further still ultimately, and you bring in the realm of, of, of quantum physics, and that even within each amino acid, there is a, there's an atom within the atom, there's a proton neut neutron 
uh, and electron. Then within the electron, you've got quarks, and then you've got different types of quarks, and then now you've got matter and antimatter, and then we're getting into ultimately string theory, which can be comprised on 12 to 17 elements, right? And energy and matter is the same thing, it's just the other side of the equal to sign. So what are we doing with medicine? The body is essentially energy, right? It's just the manifestation of energy and a construct of energy at a particular time stamp, but that time stamp will change through our, through our lives. So if we are understanding that we are essentially energy, then why are we not adopting a more scientific lens of the application of energy to our health and our well-being and the understanding thereof of what makes it who we are as human beings? Mm -hmm. And can we energy fields to our advantage. Now, we're doing that in certain therapeutics. In uh, surgery, we're using energy. In, uh, in some interventions, we're using energy. In diagnostics, we're using energy, uh, etc. But still at the other realm where we start to look at uh, Reiki and crystals, and I'm not trying to justify the use of that at all, mm -hmm. because I need the science and i've never seen any science to allow me to be convinced of it but all i'm saying is that we need to have an open mind to how energy and the other dimensions of who we are plays on our health and wellness and not just restrict ourselves to things that we can quantifiably look touch and feel in the three dimensions that we exist right now because we understand from from quantum physics that actually we are more than just the three dimensions plus four, okay, time, so four. So that's where I think it's gonna be really interesting to play out in the next 50 years, 100 years, et cetera. And possibly a medical school student in the year 2100 will have small lectures of string theory, quantum mechanics, and maybe some of these other energy manipulations as we now have that I had when I was there 20 years ago of cellular biology, neuroanatomy, neurochemistry, etc. I love how you mentioned that uh, that bit, though, because uh, it's something that I've been exploring as well. I have been trying to look at the the more scientific explanations, or rather, I won't say scientific, the more rational explanations of, say, a Reiki or uh, uh, something along those lines, uh, crystal uh, and everything as well. I do have one for meditation, thankfully, because. Uh, for the longest time, and I say this at 32, the, the time that I have actually started meditating properly was 2018, October. Right. Up until that point, it has always been something to me which never made really, uh, never really made any sense. I'm like, what do you mean sit down and breathe? What is that going to do? Um, but overall, like, apart from, say, the, the, the more spiritual experiences of what meditation can bring, um, I did begin to notice uh, a few things, which obviously because I'm not someone who's uh, who has the the understanding of the science behind it as much, but I can at least the the only thing I understood is okay, brain uh, change in brainwave state. Yeah. Um, do you think we're reaching that stage now, where all of these things that we've considered? And I by no means use this as a blanket statement. Of course, there are caveats everywhere. But do you think we're reaching a stage where we're, where we're being forced to look beyond conventional medicine into some of these esoteric practices or some of these practices that we may consider uh, non-rational, say, two years ago to now where we're looking at it more objectively and saying, okay, there's probably some value here. Limited example would be meditation. 
is there something else as well i think rather than being forced to consider i think the technology is now finally catching up to the wisdom which has existed in our collective consciousness mm-hmm. if we look at two or three uh, things which have become very sexy over the last few years meditation intermittent fasting and rest and recovery or the importance of sleep right mm-hmm. now if you look at any of the cultures separated through time in human history or geography these three things have always played an important role whether it's religion whether it's different as i said cultures or geographies or nationalities etc and it's therefore quite interesting that now uh and we, we it's it was eid yesterday right so even you look at a, such a large religion like islam uh or even judaism or or any of those practices jainism not eating bet- you know only eating between sunrise and sunset and the pollution and things like this so i think it's really quite fascinating that now technology is allowing us to quantifiably uh justify these practices and we can look at it on a cellular biochemical pathway that we can see that okay this is how this works this is the signaling this is the epigenetics this is the downstream effect this is the physiological effect and now we can measure through randomized control trials uh that this is the benefit that it's having on your health today and your longevity going forward as well so that's i think for me that's the interesting piece it's not maybe that yes the media makes things sexy or the influencers are doing it every day and talking about it but from the world that i operate out of the science is now allowing us to truly measure the benefit we can look at the physiological link and we can see empirical data and an advantage to that uh to help us it's interesting that you bring that up because uh one of the things that has been confusing me and there is because there is at least now there is a research that supports almost any view like you spoke about intermittent fasting for example intermittent fasting is a protocol because i use it as well it has been very beneficial for me but um uh, you also have people who are looking at it from that lens of okay all it's doing is looking at it from a calorie deficit so like health has been equated to that calorie measurement on the other side in terms of just nutrition um there's there's keto there's mediterranean there's there's plant based or plant dominant and then suddenly you've got carnivore and all of these apparently have exceptional health benefits and the champions of each are calling the other one out saying someone saying plants are toxic um uh, and someone saying no animals are toxic uh i uh i think i can like one name that comes straight away to mind is someone you've had the pleasure of speaking to dave uh, dave asprey who i have been yeah. following uh but i also look at these other people who are saying no the nutrition basics are absolutely simple there's macronutrients you only look at that which is daily requirement so on so forth where does one begin to kind of unpack this because i get that as human beings while yes we are similar on a large scale as people but when you go down to just the genetics of it how how i process how i process food would be different from you so where does one start to make these choices or rather these informed choices on what is going to work for me and what is not going to work for me because of course like we have this thing of the indian diet as well like if you go down if you go uh, the closest example for me when it comes to uh, and i am again going to take a more sports specific 
uh, route because that's closer to me. If I were to look yeah. at an Indian wrestler, someone from an Akhada, it's going to be milk, it's going to be ghee, it's going to be this highly dense foods which someone like me or someone else is going to look at or a lot of your health and nutritionist coaches are going to look at and, and they're just going to be like, what are you eating? Like, this is going to, this is terrible for your health. But it works for that person. So I'm really trying to understand that where is that common thread that someone can pull and say, okay, th- these are what these various movements talk about. The basic, the basic structure is this. And through here, I can make an informed choice on what works for me and what doesn't. I think the elements of personalization are only going to increase in the years to come, right? Mm-hmm. We're already there's some interesting uh, home-based kits available for you to measure your microbiome. Mm-hmm. But even if you do that, there's very little that we can practically do with that information. There are home-based kits available to tell you what your, your, genome, your genomic sequences is. In fact, I just did mine two, three weeks ago. But again, there's very little information that you can do with that practical information, right? You can measure your bloods. So what I'm saying is that there are a whole spectrum of tools which are available and which will increasingly become available, showcasing more and more minutiae towards personalization. What we're missing is that engine in the middle, which pulls in the information from all of these various things and then spits out, if you will, a recommendation for who you are based on your context, based on your environment, based on your objective intent right now, and based on some degree, of course, of of who you are and and where you want to get to. Mm -hmm. What I have seen is broadly speaking, the genomic element of this plays between 10 to 20% a role, maybe 25% maximum. There's a very, and, and this is important for people to appreciate because oftentimes I hear this from folks who I'm coaching or who I'm working with, oh, that's just who I am. My, my genes are like that. My parents were like that, family history. And, and I, I don't, you know, I, I sometimes just want to shake them out of that rut and tell them, you know, it's, it's, it's rubbish what you're saying because the environment that you put yourself in, the choices that you make for yourself on a day-to-day basis, that will ultimately decide 80% of what you become over the next 30, 40, 50 years. And the sooner you start, the better it is. So let's just park that to one side. Let's just accept that this is an evolving piece. More and more will become available. But ultimately, I think the holy grail is that machine in the middle, which will pull all of this together. And by the way, there's some of the world's smartest minds working on this, including the biggest companies like Apple and Google and, and, uh, and JP Morgan and IBM, etc. They're all trying to solve this and no one has right now. So if anyone says that they have, please don't believe them because it hasn't, it hasn't been right? So then then I I look at it, okay, so then what do I do, right? What do I do at the individual level? And I've always tried to operate out of two or three fundamental things. Number one is first principles. Number two is everything in moderation. And number uh, three is small things that can lead to long-term advantages. So first principles are, what is it that I can understand out of this particular sphere? And does it make logical sense for who I am today and where I want to go tomorrow? So let's take intermittent fasting or calorie restrictive eating. Mm-hmm. All right. There are many words for it. Now, what I've, what I've seen for myself is that if you look at a billion years of evolution, and I think Peter Atiyah does some excellent explanations around this, uh, where you look at the, uh, you look at a, uh, you look at a, a, a single cell organism, you look at a multi-cell organism like yeast, you look at a, uh, an animal model like mice, 
you look at a, a primate like a monkey and hopefully human beings. And I'm going to be speaking with Nir uh, Barzilai uh, next Friday on TEDx India, and we'll be talking about his tame study. Um, so if you look at a billion years of evolution, there is unrefutable proof to show that restricting the amount of calories in a particular day over a long period of time leads to an extension in your lifespan and your health span, both of that. What is missing is the prescriptive nature, the dose respond, the dose dependent curve to show, show for me, how much do I need to do? Do I need to do it three times a week? Do I need to do it 24 hours? Is a 16, eight okay? Can I eat 600 calories? Can I eat 1200 calories? We don't know the answer to that, mm -hmm. right? And then many permutations. So people have to work them out for themselves. But what we know very clearly is that calorie restriction, intermittent fasting, whatever you want to call it, helps an individual and a population, multi-species across every study that has ever been done over the last 20, 30, 40 years, right? So that's what I mean by first principles. Secondly, does it make sense for where I am today? Right now, I'm a father of two young kids. I may want to be running a marathon. I've got two startups that I'm running. I'm dealing with frontline issues around COVID-19. So there are many, many things of who I am today and where I want to go tomorrow. So does adopting this new behavior make sense for me now? Or do I just need to park it to one side and say, I'm going to get back to this, right? And so one of the new companies that I co-founded called Roots, it's called Roots.life. Uh, we just opened up for beta. So people hearing this can apply to become a beta user. And what we're doing is very simple. <coughs> you decide what your intent is. And then we help you document that journey of change based on where you want to go over the next few months. And we've, you know, we've gamified it so you can work with a period of four other people. Sorry. I'm going to sign up right now. <laughs> yeah. You can work with four other people. And uh, it's a really lovely micro community led initiative to help people create the change. And all we're doing is we're helping you document that journey. So you choose the intention, you choose the challenge, you create the challenge, you share the challenge. And then you work with common people like you because you're the sum of the five other people you spend time with, right? So that's, that's an example of where am I today and where do I want to go tomorrow? And does it make sense for me? Mm -hmm. And the last thing is start small. And this is where I love the idea of biohacking. And, and Dave is great. I love reading about Dave Asprey's work. And we, we had a really lovely conversation and exchange notes as well. And yes, there's a place in society for people who want to do, whoever watched my show with him, whoever want to do, you know, full body stem cell transplants that cost $170,000 and you got to fly to someplace in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Or the fact that he's got these little pellets in his ass, which release testosterone over a period of time. So that's great. And there needs to be pioneers like him so that we can learn and apply it to a general population level. And Dave wants to live to 180, which is amazing. But what I want to do in my mere uh, humanness is live to 120. And so I try and think about things which are really simple and easy to adopt. So I have 14 supplements that I take every day. They're pills, but it's easy for me to do. I can buy it on Amazon. I take them and I've seen and I've measured the response it has in my life. Mm -hmm. I've seen intermittent fasting. So I intermittent fast for three days a week where I skip my breakfast and I go straight to lunch. Mm -hmm. Once a week, I do a 24 hour water only fast, right? right? And likewise, there are little things that I do, the biohacks as I call them that I do in my life. The temperature of our bedroom is always when we go to sleep, 
set at 17 or 18 degrees Celsius, because that's the most optimal restorative temperature for your human physiology to relax and recover from. Uh -huh. So we do these simple things which don't cost a lot of money, which don't take a lot of time, which don't consume a lot of willpower. But I believe when done in collective unison leads to a great degree of change. And that's the second company that I founded called Human Edge, which is what the interaction that you were part of with the publicist group where I then share those programs such that if someone wants to adopt it, they have these tiny, tiny things through the day, but at an overall level, it leads to huge benefits in leadership longevity, workforce longevity, and life longevity as well. So that's how I operate. That's my operating system. And those are the rules that I try and live my life out of. Thank you for sharing that <laughs> because it, like I'm having like validation, 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 validation. Uh, but, <laughs> um, purely because for someone who's not from a medical background, such as myself, it's, uh, but is kind of looking at this as a way of helping other people as well. I think an interaction like this with you kind of just gives me an understanding of, all right, there are, there are, there are gray areas in this entire, uh, I'm not going to call it industry, this entire vertical of health and wellness. And they're going to stay gray for a very long time, but it's not that you can discount one thing entirely and say, okay, no, this is absolutely wrong. I do want to ask you though, why is it? Because I haven't seen a lot of medical professionals uh, share this specific knowledge or communicate about these specific things. Why do you, where do you think that gap is coming from? And again, at the same time, you've got the other spectrum, which is health influencers who may not necessarily have the medical qualifications that say a you would have or uh, an actual medical professional would have um, and have are probably health coaches. Yeah. And they would have just an elementary understanding of because I say so as one myself, um, whatever I learn is a very elementary understanding of uh, of physiology of what nutrition can do for you and things of that sort but to actually see it on a cellular biological level under a under a absolute scientific microscope is something that a medical professional can do they have the access to it and they understand it where do you think this gap is and why I think it comes back to the silos which exist in the way we uh, train our medical professionals and then what happens to them after that? So even if I look at the six years that I was in med school, I had one lecture on nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, I maybe had a collective teaching time of 15 minutes on the microbiome. And with all due respect, 20 years ago, uh, the microbiome was nowhere near as known about as where we are today. Okay, so we'll accept that. But still, right, nutrition, sleep, the importance of sleep. I don't, I don't think I even had a single lecture on the beneficial effect of sleep. We had one or two lectures on sleep physiology, sleep pathology, like narcolepsy and epilepsy and other types of things and, and how you need to treat sleep apnea and how it leads to congestive heart failure and things like that. But we never looked at you know, what is the optimal REM time versus non-REM time? What are the physical applications that you need to have around you to enhance the efficacy? What is the, the relationship between the, the contributions of those four major stages of sleep and your ability to focus the day after or, or perform? All of these things which 
are just so intuitive in our day-to-day lives, right? Whether you're a physical athlete, whether you're a corporate athlete, as I call them, or whether you're just someone who wants to lead a happy, healthy, longer life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all important. So I think that's one thing that needs to be fixed. And, and what I really want to make sure I do uh, when I have a little bit more time, maybe over the next uh, 5, 10, 15 years, is spend time at med school and actually ensure that this learning gets translated into the teaching environment so that more doctors come out of med school with an understanding of number one, the holistic nature of what life is rather than just being healthcare experts, but just focused on disease and pathogenesis. Number two, with a appreciation that what you do for your patient outside of the prescription, which is the investigation and the drug, you can actually have a much bigger effect on their long-term health span and lifespan by manipulating these, let's just say they call lifestyle, but they shouldn't be called lifestyle factors. These are hard science factors, mm-hmm. like encouraging yeah. more sleep, encouraging macro micronutrients, movement, all of these things, which I speak about in the programs, which, which you may have attended as well. So, so th- this is, these, are, these are two really important things. And then you fast forward to where we are today, right? What is social media done over the last 10, 12 years? You become an influencer without any real justification for calling yourself that apart from the blue tick, right? Number of followers. And the blue tick and number of followers is reliant on how aesthetically pleasing your content is. This is a fundamental game, the algorithm. You, yeah, this is a fundamental problem with social networks. And I encourage people, my co-founders and I, we, we wrote three pieces which are available on Medium. Uh, it's uh, this one, which I'm particularly inferring to is called Humanizing Technology. And if you go to Immunity Health, that's I-M-M-U-N-I-T-I. That's the name of our parent company, which Roots.Life is part of. And we, we wrote, it's a 3,000, 4,000 page manifesto of how we believe social technologies need to be built for the next 20, 30 years and how there's a complete misalignment between what tools we currently have available to us. You even take any of them, and I won't name them, but any of the digital meditation tools and their metrics of success are number of downloads, daily active users, time spent on apps, and uh, conversion rates from premium to premium, right? That's how their investors count success. But... The ultimate stakeholder, which is you as a consumer, your metrics of success are none of those. In fact, it, it, it's, it's fundamentally in, in converse to what you should be doing, which is your ability to be more mindful or the degree of, medit- uh, degree of focus or brainwave activity, etc. That's what we've designed for, we hope, in Roots.life. And I'm not saying this to plug Roots. We're, we're still building as we go. We're building the plane whilst we're flying it. But we, we understand that there is a misalignment and this is the problem with social networks. So you've got anyone who can become a social influencer, as you rightly said, but they shouldn't really be calling themselves influencers because all they have are people who follow them. They're not talking from a necessarily a position of authority. Saying that there are many who I, uh, whom I respect, you know, people in India, uh, like people like Shamal Vilapji, right? Who I believe I is creating... Incredible content, really operating from a position of knowledge and wisdom. And there are many, many others like that as well, right? Who are doing this. So I think it's important that the the user, the consumer looks at these influencers with where they come from, what they're doing, and what they're trying to say, and then make some very informed decisions based on that. 
Right. Thank you for saying that because uh, I have been looking at social media for a while and it does, it has impacted a lot of things, especially now. Like I, I see the power it has on both sides. There is that side of it doing some really good things. Like the world is smaller. I can speak to you through, uh, <laughs> through this. I would have probably yeah. not had the opportunity to, but I can. Yeah. Uh, but overall, um, I see uh, I, I see it doing some good as well. So um, with that, I'm going to move to my second last question, uh, which is how uh, how can one start on this? How can one start to make a few more conscious decisions about their health and well-being? What would be some factors you could recommend? That's an interesting question. Um... I have three simple rules when it comes to uh, sort of the adoption of a new behavior or a mindset. Rule number one is start small, start today, mm -hmm. which basically means, uh, and again, I think you may have heard this when we, when we last met through publicists, we have goals and ambitions. And that's fantastic, right? People come to me, doc, I want to run a marathon. I want to lose six kilos. I want to get married. I want to lose weight, etc. Fantastic. Big goal, big ambition. We need to have that. But remember, Within that is a set of behaviors. Within the set of behaviors is a, a series of habits. And underneath each habit is the adoption of these biohacks, these small, tiny steps, the micro steps, atomic habits, whatever nomenclature you want to adopt based on who you're reading or, or listening to, right? So that's the first thing. Differentiate between your destination and the journey to get you there, which is even the, the science behind roots as a concept. Then we say, okay, now you start small, start today. So if you tell me that, okay, you know what, I'm going to work on running a marathon and I've done this huge plan for myself and it starts with tomorrow me walking for 5,000 steps, I'll say you've got it all wrong. You need to firstly start today because you need those two neurons to come together for the first time, which is the hardest step to make. And 67% of people who set themselves up for a challenge the next day don't even turn up at the start line. So make sure you start today and take it even smaller. Do it 3,000 steps, but start doing it today. Even start doing it right now while we're talking to each other. So that's rule one. Start small, start today. Rule two is stack them up. So James Clear talks about this really beautifully. The best way of forming a new habit is linking it to an old one. So as you line up all these little biohacks for yourself around a central goal, try and make them connected to one another so that it's logical for yourself. It's sequential and your brain has the least amount of resistance to overcome to adopt these in your day-to-day -day life, right? So that's the second rule. And the third rule is the importance of dopamine. It's such a powerful neurotransmitter. It celebrates success. It's the reason why uh, alcohol is addictive or smoking is addictive or social networks are addictive. They all feed on dopamine. So use the same neurochemistry, but this time to your advantage. So whenever you do something good for yourself, celebrate it in an appropriate manner. That's how I recommend we all start our journeys. Thank you. Thank you so much. And my final question, where can these people reach out to you? I'm going to leave everything in the description, but still. <laughs> Yep, I'm very active on social media. So all of my social handles are Doc M Rani, which is my surname, R-A-N-N-E-Y. Uh, that's on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook as well. I'm more than happy to connect with folks. My book is called At the Human Edge. Uh, it's available in India at all the online stores, and it's now globally available as well. And uh, hopefully in the next three months, 
as soon as I can get into the recording studio and finish it, it'll be available on Audible as well uh, globally, uh, as I said, hopefully towards the end of the year. So lots going on on that, but social media is the best place that a person can reach me now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for this, Doc. This has been, this is one of my favorite conversations. I get to geek out. <laughs> Good. Thank you for having me. And please share this with me and I'll be happy to amplify it across the handles as well. I will be, sir. I will be. I'm going to stop the recording and we're done.